Welcome to Eagle Eye Perspectives Podcast. This is Brian Eichelberger. Today is Wednesday, June 27th, 2018. Thank you for joining me today. Um, I was on and released a podcast, or at least I taped the podcast yesterday. And just as a summary, um, I spoke on that podcast about how there are five books, I believe, that are titles to insights and revelation that the Lord um, has given me over a period of time. And that is going to be important uh, for the body of Christ for the time that we're living in and even the times um, that are ahead that will extend into a next generation until the Lord comes again. Um, I spoke about these five books. They were titled one. The first one was called The Prophet. Second one was titled The Madman. The third book was titled Angel Face. The fourth book was titled The Chamber. And the fifth prophetic book is called A Painted House. And so I started talking about that first title called The Prophet, that this had to do with the spirit of Elijah, which comes to prepare the way of the Lord, the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so I walked through some aspects of the spirit of Elijah. And specifically, one thing I wanted the Lord, I felt like the Lord was wanted me to highlight for now in sharing about the spirit of Elijah, was that the spirit of the Lord was going to rest upon the word of God that dwells within us. I mentioned to you the vision that I had from an angel, angelic visitation, where he told me to pray and fast for 30 days for the spirit of Elijah. It would be 30 days until celerity, which means it would be 30 days till you would see the sun's rays. Creation would submit to the rule, the righteous rule, and the order of the word of God in that. They said the Lord was looking for a man to be a spark because it only takes a spark to start the fires. And so I started that fast on May 1st and finished it on May 30th, 2003. And we went 30 days without sun rays. Uh, there was even an article in the Washington Post um, speaking to that very thing. Um, that visitation took place on April 18th, though I started the fast on May 1st. <clears throat> Excuse me. So... Uh, April 18th represented 418, and I was told that that was Luke 418. And in Luke 418, Jesus walks into the synagogue. He takes the book from the attendant, and he announces that the Spirit of the Lord is now upon me, and he has anointed me. And so we've been in a time of preparation where Jesus is the Word of God. It says so in John 1. In the beginning was the Word. He was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. And so the Holy Spirit, though there are seven aspects or attributes of the Holy Spirit, it is one Holy Spirit with seven different aspects to his being. And one of those is the Spirit of the Lord. You see this in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. And so the Spirit of the Lord is anointing the Word of God in us in this time and in this season. And we're in a place of preparation. So what I want to talk about into further detail today is the Spirit of the Lord and what that means. And I have other visions and some signs and wonders even upon the earth to confirm what I believe the Lord is saying about this season and this year we are in. That we will begin to see the emergence of a remnant of sons of God who will begin to rule over creation while the Spirit of the Lord anoints the Word in them. So it's, this is, I think, very important for us to understand in this time, because many 
are going through a season of darkness, or should I say difficulties, tribulations, trials, and uh, it's, it's for a preparation for something greater. So the first time, the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord, the, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me, is what Jesus said. And Lord means lordship or to rule over. And so if we go back to the beginning in Genesis 1, verse 26, Scripture says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over all the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God gave Adam the right to rule over all of creation, all over planet earth. He gave him, Adam, the right to rule. That word rule, you'll also, some, some of you may know that the translation there in your scriptures might say dominion. And it's the word dominoes, which in the Latin, it literally means to have dominion, means to rule over. And the one who rules is the Lord over that which he's ruling. So he gave Adam the right to rule, which made him Lord over creation. Now the scripture says that the heavens belong to the Lord. The earth he's given into the hands of the sons of men. So he's given the earth into our care and into our lordship. But we're either going to rule for the benefit of the kingdom of God, or we rule out of a place of our own self-preservation and um, defense in order to protect ourselves from the things that are coming up into the earth. So the sons of God, they're going to rule in the earth, and that spirit of the Lord is going to rest upon them. Now what happened was Adam had this legal right. It was given to him by God. But in the garden a couple of chapters later, in Genesis 3, he loses that right. The very thing that he was called to rule over, which was the earth and all the animals and everything on the earth and all of creation, uh, the enemy comes in the very form of it. It says that the enemy came to Eve in the form of a serpent. That word serpent, if I, I looked it up in the Hebrew, it says snake. And we know that the snake is clever. Uh, he's deceptive. He has guile. Uh, there's great camouflage. He lies in wait. And when a prey comes, he strikes. Um, very cunning. And all that describes, adequately describes, the work of the devil. But understand that there was no curse on the earth at that point in time. The very thing that Adam was ruling over, the enemy entered into and spoke through in order to get him to relinquish that order and that right that was given to him by God so that the enemy could say, you see, God, you chose the wrong people to rule through. You should have chosen the angels. Instead, you chose men. It was the enemy's way of trying to show to God that he should have chosen the angels to rule through rather than us. Now, when the enemy comes, he doesn't come and tempt Adam directly. He comes and gives the temptation to Eve. And Eve offers the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they were not to partake of, to Adam. And Adam never said anything to Eve. He never corrected her. Um, he never um, said, no, do you remember the word? You know, Remember, he said, don't eat of that. Instead, Adam took and he ate. And when he ate, he gave up the right to rule over all of creation. And it was given over to the enemy. So the scripture says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So the first Adam, which we as humans receive our nature from, God appointed us that we came from Adam. The word Adam 
is the same word for man. If you look up the word man in the Hebrew or in the Greek, it says Adam. So the word Adam actually is the word for man. The word for man is Adam. So we, as humans, we come from that Adamic nature, that fallen nature. And what that means is that our lineage, our inheritance goes back to Adam, which means we lost the right to rule over creation. But Jesus comes in order to restore the right. So when he came, he announces the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I'm here to do this. And he began to announce some of the things that the spirit of the Lord has anointed him to do, which is the priest of good news, to heal up the brokenhearted, set captives free, proclaim release. All right, so he comes in in this rule and this authority to take back what the enemy has stolen. Because Jesus, in the scriptures, just a side note, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus' father was not Adam. Jesus always mentioned in the scriptures, in the four gospels, that his father was God. His mother was Mary. She had the seed, the word of God, was put into her by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus' lineage traces back through Mary, but his father is God. Because if Jesus had been born into the same Adamic nature as you and I, through Adam, he would have come into the world through the same sense of loss that you and I have. But he didn't, because he's king of kings and he's lord of lords. So his father is God. And he has a right to rule as the king. And his kingdom is coming into the earth. And it's going to be centered on the aspect of righteous rule and authority. So Jesus now restores back to us. That's why he says, all authority and power in heaven and earth has been given to me. And now I give to you. He gave us the authority of the kingdom of God. And he's restoring it back to the sons of God. So that which was lost at the fall through Adam which was a right to rule over creation, has now been restored to us through Jesus Christ. So the Spirit of the Lord is about ruling over creation. And now think about it. Think about the different ways that Jesus even ruled over the creation. He comes onto the scene, one of the first things he does, one of his first miracles, and that's one of the things that's going to happen, is that the Spirit of the Lord helps to produce the gift of miracles. Is that the first miracle he does, he turns the water into wine at the wedding. He takes the, the bread and, he, and they get multiplied to feed the multitudes. We see Jesus um, having to walk on the water. And the water submits to his righteous rule as it upholds him as he walks. Because it was created in a way that nature and creation would submit to the rule of God. How about when he was in the boat? And going on the Sea of Galilee, crossing one side to the other. And a great storm came. And you remember, all the disciples who were in the boat, many of them fishermen, experienced fishermen, were fearful and panicky that they were going to perish, they were going to die. The storm was that great. And where's Jesus? He's at the stern of the boat, asleep, resting, in a state of rest and peace. And they wake him up and say, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? He says, where's your faith? And he gets up and he speaks to the storm and he says, peace to you. That's because he was walking in peace. He was in a place of rest. He is peace. He is rest. And so 
Immediately when it did it, it said that the waves stopped or the wind stopped and the storm just, it was just gone. So we see the one who is of righteous rule, the Spirit of the Lord resting upon him, and you see creation immediately begin to respond to him. He was not subservient to the creation. The creation did not rule over him. He ruled over the creation. And he's restoring this back to the sons of God. Now, this is very important that we understand, because I kept mentioning in the last podcast, that in John 1, it it, it speaks of the fact that Jesus is the Word. And he was in the beginning. So while we're here in Genesis... I want to look at this. If we look over at Genesis 1, we're going to see the word in in the beginning. And this is important because it's going to be important for you and I. Because that which he's doing now and about to do, he's going to be doing through the sons of God. Those who are coming into a level of maturation who understand how to rule. But they do it out of a place of righteousness, peace, and the joy of the Holy Spirit. Because that's the kingdom of God. So it says this in Genesis 1. In the beginning, same thing is said in John 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. In other words, it wasn't there yet. It says, And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now, you see the surface of the deep and the surface of the waters. In the Hebrew, that word is actually face. It says, actually, the face of the deep. The face of the waters and the Spirit of God is moving. Well, the Spirit of God, in this essence, is the Holy Spirit. What I'm proposing to you is that the surface of the deep, the darkness that we see here, is the surface of the deep. The deep is God Himself. That's God as Father. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, The Spirit searches all things, even the deeps, things of God, even the depths of God. I'm going to turn real quick here. I want to read this. It's um, Psalm 18. Listen to what it says about the deep or the darkness of of God in this stanza. It's in Psalm chapter 18. Excuse me, I'm just taking a little bit of time to turn to it. It says in verse 7, starting in verse 7, Then the earth shook and quaked, And the foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils and fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and he came down, he being God, came down with deep darkness, thick darkness, under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew and he sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, his secret place, his canopy around him. So this darkness was enveloping God. God is the deep. The scripture says, the deep calleth unto the deep. As his waves and his billows hit over us. A way of looking at this in the natural is if you ever went out into the ocean that has a deep body of water, light from the sun, will come down into the waters and it will reflect and go into the waters, but it only goes to a certain depth. If you go deep down into the waters, it is dark. There's a deep darkness at the bottom of the ocean. There's a depth there. It's the same way with God. In the deep hidden places of God, there is darkness, things that have not been revealed yet. 
There are hidden mysteries, it says in the scriptures. Things that have been hidden for the ages that are mysteries for us. Well, we're in a time where God now is beginning to peel back. He's beginning to move back the veil. He's shining light into some of those dark places so that we can begin to see. Now, some people will say darkness just means sin, death, decay, the wickedness. The domain of darkness is the domain of Satan. And I don't disagree with those things. I think those things are true. And they have application. It depends on what the Lord is trying to say. But sometimes darkness can also speak of something that just is being veiled. It hasn't been made known yet. It's been hidden. And so here we see in Genesis 1 that the deep is there. And I believe in this passage, the deep is God himself. It's the hidden places of the mysteries of God that have yet not been made known. So you have God as the deep. The Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. And that word, as I mentioned before, I read it from uh, New American Standard. It said the surface of the deep. It literally says the face. And that word face is the same word for presence. So it's the presence of the deep. It's the presence of God has the depth and the darkness to it that is hidden from us and we've not yet seen or heard or come into an understanding of. But he's beginning to reveal them to us. We're in that time and season where the veil's being lifted and we're coming into the deeper things of God. Now, it says the Spirit of God was also there. So the Holy Spirit was present. Well, where's the Word? Because in the beginning was the Word. Well, it says it right here. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. Again, the word surface is the word face, the presence of the water. Well, in this passage, nothing had been created yet. There was no ocean there's no sea, there's no lakes, no tributaries, there's no clouds yet. That wasn't created till the third day. So what is the water that is there? What is this face of the water? How could that be? In Revelations 1.15, it's speaking about a corporate picture of Jesus as the head of the body. And you can go back and read this in Revelations 1.15. And it says that his feet were like a burnished bronze, and the sound of his voice was a voice of many waters. So it's a singular voice. Remember, John the Baptist was the voice or a voice of another. It was a singular voice. That's why I said it's a corporate people that will have a singular voice. That means it's coming from the Spirit of God. Their voice is not their own. It's the voice of the Lord that is speaking. And when a voice speaks, it brings forth a word. When you have a voice, you have a word. Well, the scripture says his voice is a sound of many waters. It's a voice and the waters are you and I. It's, it's us speaking the word because the word dwells within us. Now we're going to see here real quick. Ezekiel, if I can turn to that. <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 1, I believe it is. And it's around verse 24. It says this, I also heard the sound of their wings, speaking about angels, like the sound of abundant waters as they went, like the voice of the Almighty God. So it says here that this sound of waters is like the voice of God. So the voice of God in spirit can be like water. But when the voice comes forth, when it comes out, a word is being spoken. A word comes from the voice. 
And what I'm believing and what I'm saying is in the beginning was God. He was with God. He is God. In the beginning was the Word. And Jesus is the water here that's spoken about in Genesis chapter 1. So again, in Genesis 1, what we have here is we have God as the deep, the Spirit of God moving over the face of God and over the face of the water, and the water being the Word of God. The voice is a word that comes out. And that word is Jesus Christ. So he was there at the beginning. And so when the Spirit of the Lord is coming, he's coming to anoint the Word of God in us so that John 1.14 becomes reality in our time. Jesus said then, it said that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, that was Jesus. He was the Word. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. Well, he's doing it again. See, the Word becoming flesh, the Word is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And he's going to have a word. He's going to give us a word. And when that word, which is Christ, speaks to us and we speak the word or we do the word, the spirit of the Lord is anointing that word and the authority of heaven is going to back it up. So when Jesus went and spoke to the wind and the storm and told it to calm down or turn the water into wine, he spoke as the word. He spoke as the voice of God in himself. And creation had to submit to its rule. A uh, couple other things that, just, just to share as, as you kind of think about that. Back in 2003, 2004, um, I had a prophetic experience. Actually, it might have been a little bit before that. I think it was in 2002. But I was awakened at night and the Lord spoke to me in an audible voice. And he said, Brian, Brian, I said, yes, Lord. He said, the mantles of Maria, Maria Woodworth Edder and William Branham are still in the earth, waiting for someone to pick them up, someone to carry their mantles. And I knew it wasn't just going to be a singular mantle. It was going to be a corporate mantle because things are moving corporately in the body of Christ. So I went and I studied about William Branham and Maria Woodworth Edder. I spent time reading about them, researching them, reading some of the books about them and, and so forth. And I'm going to talk more about William Branham in a future podcast when we go further into this whole thing about the prophet. Um, because there's things he said and the things that the Lord has shown me um, that relate to the times we are in and what's coming. Even the very things that I'm talking about. But we'll, we'll get into that in a future podcast. Very shortly, actually. Um, so I studied about William Branham. William Branham was in Indiana. And I think, I want to say it was Jefferson, Indiana. He went into a into the woods in a, a cabin in Indiana, and he spent time with the Lord, and he had angelic visitations that kind of really set him on his path. And um, I felt like the Lord told me, after reading and researching, he said, I want you to go into the woods of Indiana, or, or go into the cabin in Indiana, and I'm going to meet with you. And I said, Lord, I'm in Maryland. How am I going to get to Indiana? How am I going to find a cabin in Indiana? I said, man, you got to work that out, because I, I don't know how that's going to work. And so I prayed about it over a couple of weeks and a month or two passed and I got a phone call. And in the phone call, a friend of mine, Bob Combs, called me from Indiana. Bob's a, a prophet and a father. And um, he was just calling just to chat with me to see how I was doing. And at the end of the conversation, his wife tells him, she says, uh, tell Brian that if he ever wants to come to Indiana, we have a place for him to stay. And I knew that right then that was the open door 
for me to go into the cabin of Indiana. So anyways, I told Bob about the prophecy, what the Lord said. And he said, well, he said, I know a church out here that owns several cabins in the woods. And he said, I'm not saying that that's where Branham stayed. He said, but you can give an offering and rent the cabin for several days. It has power, electricity, water. He said, but other than that, you know, you're pretty much on your own. You're back in the woods. And he said, there's a lake back there as well. So I went ahead, we fixed it up, and I went out there in 2004. And um, while I was out there praying and waiting on fasting and waiting upon the Lord for several days, one afternoon the Lord said, go down to the lake and I'll meet you down there. So I went down to the lake. It's about a 50... A 50-yard walk through the woods, and there's a there's a natural lake down there, and there's one guy out there with his tent set up. He was um, camping, and there's a lifeguard stand by the lake. So I went ahead and went up the lifeguard chair, and I sat there, and I was there for about 30 minutes just waiting on the Lord, and I was like, Lord, I'm here, and all of a sudden, the voice of the Lord came to me, and he said, Brian, go down and walk on that water. And immediately out of my mouth, an immediate response, I said, I didn't bid to come. And once I said it, I knew I was in trouble. So what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And I knew, oh boy, that reveals something that's in my heart. He's calling me to come out on the water. You know, my heart should be going out. But you know, there's something in my heart that was like, I ain't ready for that. <laughs> you know, that was pretty challenging for me. And uh, once I said it out of my mouth, I said, Lord, I repent. Forgive me for that. And he immediately spoke back to me. And this is what he said. He said, if you don't learn how to walk on that water, you're not going to survive the days that are ahead. Listen to this again. If you don't learn how to walk on that water, you're not going to survive the days that are ahead. I immediately got down, took my shoes and socks off, and I practiced about 20 or 30 times walking on that water. (laughs) And, uh... I sank like a rock every time. I'd go out to about knee level, go back, and I just kept going out, in and out, in and out, just practicing. And uh, I said, well, Lord, I said, you're going to have to help me with this. I need understanding, and and I just need grace to be able to walk on the water. I want to be able to walk on the word. You know, because Jesus gave the water, or gave the word to Peter. And he said, come out here. And he walked on the word. But he walked on the water, because the water represented the word. And you see, creation was meant to submit to the rule of Jesus Christ. There's something in creation. Creation is not just an inanimate object, a solid object. Creation can respond to the commands of God. And creation is waiting for the sons of God to come forth in in speaking the word of the Lord but also in the nature of the Word of God. It's not just the phenomenons of God. It's phenomenons with the person of God. They're looking for the nature of God in us so that when the the authority comes, they recognize the nature, not just a command. They're looking for the glory of the Lord in us. All of creation is jealousy yearning to see the glory of the Lord revealed in the sons of God. And so when Jesus walked on the water, it had to submit to his rule because it was created through the word and by the word. All things was created for him and by him and for him. 
So the very thing that we relinquished at the fall, Christ restored through us, or restored to us and for us. And in him, we now have legal right over the creation because he gave it to us. Now, and it's when he said, learn to walk on the water, I think that's what he's talking about. You got to learn how to walk in authority because when my word is given in you and I speak it, you need to speak it into creation and creation is going to follow it. But it's not just following just the command and the voice of the word. It's also to be command, uh, following the nature of God in us, the word in us. So what happened? Another prophetic experience. I was in a dream in 2004. And in this dream, I was taken into the heavens. And I was standing in the heavens. And before me were a whole bunch of lockers, about one foot by one foot lockers. Um, the lockers had numbers on them. And I had a key around my neck. It was a skeleton key, like an ancient skeleton key. Um, and a skeleton key is, I believe, used to open up what's called like warded locks. A warded lock is something, is a lock that has obstruction in it and to it. So only that master key, which is the master's key, a skeleton key is the master, he is the master. It's his key and only that skeleton key can open up that lock. Nothing else can open it up. So there's this very specific key that the Lord has given to us to unlock what was in the locker. And so I'm looking at these lockers as high up as I could see, as far right and far left that my eyes could see nothing but lockers. And so I had this key around my neck and I took the key off and I knew it was to locker 818. Locker 818 was off to my right a little bit, about three or four rows over, about mm, shoulder height, maybe a little bit taller. And I took the key and put the skeleton key. And, and only this key, we'll talk about what the key is, can unlock what was in this locker. And I put the key in and I turned it and I opened up 818 and 819, which was underneath it, also opened up. And inside there was a rolled up scroll or like a an old parchment paper. It wasn't like notebook paper you and I would know. It looked like something that was a biblical times. And, and I reached in and I grabbed it <clears throat> and I unrolled it and it was written on the top of it. It was titled a deed, D-E-E-D. -E -E now a deed is a legal document. It's a transfer of authority, usually of something that is a belonging or a property from one person to the next. And it's a legal document that gives you a legal right. And what was written underneath it, it said deed, and it said Brian, and had my name on it, comma. He says, this is being given to you in the time and the generation you're in. And it was signed, the Lord Jesus Christ. He signed it. So he transferred that document, that authority, that right over to me. And to me, I felt like I just represented, you know, I was just a, a, a representation of, a, of an ambassador or a conduit in our time that we're living in. And so as I'm coming out of this, and I'm waking up, I've come back into my body pretty much, and I'm kind of waking up, there's that transition period. 
I was calling out going, what is 818 and 819? Because I knew that had to do with the deed. That was the promise. That was the transfer of ownership. That was the authority that was being transferred. And so when I go to, or as I'm coming up, I hear the Holy Spirit say Romans 8, 18 and 19. And this is what Romans 8, 18 and 19 says. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the anxious longing of the creation, and there's back, the anxious longing of the creation, waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. And so the Lord is giving us access to this very truth. Obviously the lockers were represented the word of God and truth that had been hidden and kept for ages. But now he's given us the key. He's given us the legal right to say, hey, you're coming into a time where there's going to be sufferings. The scripture says without tribulation, one cannot enter into the kingdom of God. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be tribulations. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be trials. Consider it all joy when you encounter these because the testing of your faith will produce patience. It's producing a character and a nature that's going to be needed for the time and the season we're in. So there's going to be sufferings. But he said that it's not even worthy. It can't even be compared to the glory that I'm going to reveal in you as you go through the sufferings, as you go through the trials, as you go through the tribulations. It's going to work and perfect a righteousness and a holiness in you. Friends, do not despise a broken and contrite spirit. Do not despise the difficulties and the struggles and the trials and the temptations we're going through. Many have been in them. You've been in them for years. But it's going to produce a righteousness in you. Because the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's righteousness, the peace, and the joy of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see here just in a few minutes how this is so important. We're going to have to go through this time. It's for us. It's for now. It's for me. It's for you. It's for the generation we're living in. Listen, Acts 13, 36, it says this about David. He says, David fulfilled, the. he served God and fulfilled the purpose of God for the generation in which he lived. He then died, was buried with his fathers, and underwent decay. We need to be fulfilling the very purpose in which we have been created for the generation and the time we're living in. That's what it said about David. And he was a king. We're called to be priests and kings. What, what is this, the very service and the purpose of this hour and time and generation we're living in? I believe part of it is that we're to come into the authority of the Lord and usher in the kingdom of God. And I believe one of the first parts of that is going to be understanding the authority of God and the divine nature of God, the nature of that authority. That's what we're going to be doing. And all of creation is waiting for the glory of the Lord to be revealed in us. So creation cries out. You can go down further in verse 21 in chapter 8 of Romans. Creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption. Right now the whole earth is crying out. Storms will come up. The earth is crying out saying, where is the sons of God? We need, we're looking for the sons. Well, I'm telling you, I've got a word. It's going to begin this year. We're going to begin to see a small remnant. God always has a remnant of sons in the earth. He's always had a remnant of fully mature sons in that time and season. 
And I, I have a revelation for you to share that took place and, and was revealed to me concerning on March 1st of this year that we will begin to see the beginning of this. The sons of God will begin to emerge. Um, I'm going to stop here at this point and then we're going to pick up in part three. And I'm going to close in part three with the sign that was given on the earth and what it means. That this will be the beginning of the year where we'll see a, a small, it's just the beginning. We're not going to see a full maturation of it. But we'll begin to see a remnant of the sons of God on the earth where the Spirit of the Lord is going to anoint the word in them. They will walk on the water. Creation will submit to their rule. And they're looking, all of creation is jealously looking to see the glory, the divine nature of God revealed in these sons. I thank you for joining me. I ask you to come back and listen to part three because you want to hear the end of this. This is Eagle Eye Perspectives Podcast, and this is Brian Eichelberger. Grace, grace to you and to your household.